Chapter Thirty Nine of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. April's Lady by Margaret Wolf Hungerford. Chapter Thirty Nine. Ah were she pitiful as she is fair life's a varied bright illusion joy and sorrow light and shade it was almost warm says she turning round to him she seems to be talking all the time so vivid is her face so intense her vitality i was so glad to see the barbizons again you know them don't you Kit looked perfect, so lovely, so good in every way. Voice, face, manners, I felt I envied her. It would be delightful to feel that every one must be admiring one, as she does. She glances at him, and he leans a little toward her. No, no, not a compliment, please. I know I am as much behind Kit as the moon is behind the sun. I wasn't going to pay you a compliment, says he slowly. No, she laughs. It was unlike her to have made that remark, and just as unlike her to have taken his rather discourteous reply so good-naturedly. It was a charming visit, she goes on, not in haste, but idly as it were, as if words are easy to her. I quite enjoyed it. Barbara didn't. I think she wanted to get home. She is always thinking of the babies, or, well, I did. I am not ungrateful. I take the goods the gods provide, and find honest pleasure in them. I do not think, indeed, I laugh so much for quite a century as to-day with Kit." She is sympathetic, says Felix, with the smallest thought of the person in question in his mind. More than that, surely, though that is a hymn of praise in itself. After all, it is a relief to meet Irish people when one has spent a week or two in solid England. You agree with me? I am English, returns he. Oh, of course, how rude of me! I didn't mean it, however, I had entirely forgotten. Our acquaintance has been confined entirely to Irish soul until this luckless moment. You do forgive me? She is leaning a little forward and looking at him with a careless expression. No, returns he briefly. Well, you should, says she, taking no notice of his cold rejoinder, and treating it indeed as if it is of no moment there was a deeper meaning in his refusal to grant her absolution she declines to acknowledge it still even that batiste of mine need not prevent you from seeing some truth in my argument we have our charms we irish eh your charm well mine if you like as a type and recklessly and with a shrug of her shoulders if you wish to be personal 
she had gone a little too far i think i have acknowledged that says he coldly he rises abruptly and goes over to where she is standing on the hearth-rug shading her face from the fire with a huge japanese fan have i ever denied your charm his tone has been growing in intensity and now becomes stern why do you talk to me like this what is the meaning of it all your altered manner everything why did you grant me this interview perhaps because still with that radiant smile bright and cold as early frost like that little soapy boy i thought you would not be happy till you got it she laughs lightly the laugh is the outcome of the smile and is close imitation it is perfectly successful but on the surface only there is no heart in it you think i arranged it oh no how could i you have just said i arranged it she shuts up her fan with a little click you want to say something don't you she says well say it you give me permission then asks he gravely despair knocking at his heart why not would i have you unhappy always her tone is jesting throughout you think taking the hand that holds the fan and restraining its motion for a moment that if i do speak i shall be happier ah that is beyond me says she and yet yes to get a thing over is to get rid of fatigue i have argued it all out for myself and have come to the conclusion for yourself well for you too a little impatiently after all it is you who want to speak silence to me is golden but it occurred to me in the silent watches of the night with another now rather forced little laugh that if you once said to me all you had to say you would be contented and go away and not trouble me any more i can do that now without saying anything says he slowly he has dropped her hand he is evidently deeply wounded can you her eyes are resting restlessly on his is there magic in them her mouth has taken a strange expression i might have known how it would be says dysart throwing up his head you will not forgive it was but a moment a few words idle hardly considered and oh yes considered says she slowly they were unmeant persists he fiercely i defy you to think otherwise one great mistake a second's madness and you have ordained that it shall wreck my whole life you that evening in the library at the court i had not thought of ah she interrupts him even more by her gesture which betrays the first touch of passion she has shown than by her voice that is still mocking i knew you would have to say it you know me indeed says he with an enforced calmness that leaves him very white 
my whole heart and soul lies bare to you to ruin it as you will it is the merest waste of time i know but still i have felt all along that i must tell you again that i love you though i fully understand i shall receive nothing in return but scorn and contempt still to be able even to say it is a relief to me and what is it to me asked the girl as pale now as he is is it a relief a comfort to me to have to listen to you she clenches her hands involuntarily the fan falls with a little crash to the ground no he is silent a moment no it is unfair unjust you shall not be made uncomfortable again it is the last time i shall not trouble you again in this way i don't say we shall never meet again you pausing and looking at her you do not desire that oh no coldly politely if you do say so at once with a rather peremptory ring in his tone i should calmly i am glad of that as my cousin is a great friend of mine and as i shall get a fortnight's leave soon i shall probably run over to ireland and spend it with her after all bitterly why should i suppose it would be disagreeable to you it was quite a natural idea says she immovably however says he steadily you need not be afraid that even if we do meet i shall ever annoy you in this way again oh i am never afraid says she with that terrible smile that seems to freeze him well good-bye holding out his hand he is quite as composed as she is now and is even able to return her smile in kind so soon but barbara will be down in to tea in a few minutes you will surely wait for her i think not but really do i am going to see after the children and give them some chocolate i brought for them it will probably make them ill says he smiling still no thank you i must go now indeed you will make my excuses to mrs monkton please good-bye good-bye says she laying her hand in his for a second she has grown suddenly very cold shivering it seems almost as if an icy blast from some open portal has been blown in upon her he is still looking at her there is something wild strange in his expression you cannot realize it but i can says he unsteadily it is good-bye forever so far as life for me is concerned he has turned away from her he is gone the sharp closing of the door wakens her to the fact that she is alone mechanically quite calmly she looks around the empty room there is a little persian chair cover over there all awry she rearranges it with a critical eye to its proper appearance and afterward pushes a small chair into its place 
she pats a cushion or two and finally taking up her bonnet and the pins she had laid upon the chimney-piece goes up to her own room once there with a rush the whole thing comes back to her the entire meaning of it what she has done that word forever the bonnet has fallen from her fingers sinking upon her knees beside the bed she buries her face out of sight presently her slender frame is torn by those cruel yet merciful sobs end of chapter thirty nine recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c